He was uh, riding on a, a reading pain bow. Hello and welcome to Dice Like Ice, episode number eight. I'm your host, Tony Acton, and with me, as always, the Felix to my Gotrick, Andrew Mitchell. Episode eight, the Ocho. <laughs> uh, We've done it. Also, that Felix implies I'm a poet, and boy, did I just not care about poetry when I was in high school at all. It, it ain't, ain't my preferred art, that's well, for sure. you're not as short and bearded as me, so you're kind of the default Felix there. Yeah, I guess that's true. Sorry. But I don't have long I don't have long blonde locks like he does. Uh, I mean That's okay. I don't have a gigantic red mohawk. You should. I sh oh dude, if I could, I would. <laughs> that would be a great way to entice people to buy sandwiches from you. Right. <laughs> Come to the sandwich czar. Look at my incredible mohawk. God, that man you know, that's what we should do an episode on. The greatest hair in games workshop. Oh, there's a lot Ooh, of possibilities. Stay tuned for episode nine, the greatest hair in games workshop. <laughs> we just made an episode because sometimes we run out of ideas. Right. Oh, all right, folks. So this is uh, this is pretty quick release behind our last one. So, um, Andrew, what kind of a hobby progress you got done in the last eight days? Well, uh, before we get to oh, that, yes, this yes, episode, yes, as always, is sponsored by Grip. Oh, and there's Grip. beer all over everything. That's cool. I just got cider all over my hand. Oh, it's all over I the mic. It's all over the laptop. That's good radio uh, right there. I, I think we get worse at opening beer as time goes on. All right, what you got today? Uh, today, I have an Original Sin Black Widow Cider. Oh, which that's is a blackberries, one. Blackberries and freshly pressed New York apples. It's very crisp and pleasant. Uh, just kind of wanted something nice and, you know, fall tasting since uh, we're past all the arbitrary Halloween pumpkin ale stuff. So, you know, just some, something nice. 6% alcohol, so nothing crazy. Oh, man. I am uh, I'm going with Monday Night Brewing out of Atlanta. Yeah, With the Blind Pirate, their Blood Orange IPA. It's uh, sitting in at a nice 7.4, and it's a tall boy, so it's sort of be a fun one. Nice. Oh, you mix nice. it and match them with your Coke for the caffeine. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You know, you got to mix your uppers and your downers, kids. you got to find that perfect harmony to rock and roll. That's how, that's how you level out for the rest of your life. Welcome to Kitchens. Oh, God. Hmm. There is not much Blood Orange in that. That is very hoppy. Hmm. That would be disappointing. I would. If well, I got to you, that was, that's disappointing to well, you. To us, normal. If I got something like that was it. specifically a blood orange IPA, I would at least want it to be like thirty-five percent orange. Yeah, I guess uh, technically they should have called it IPA with blood orange. <laughs> IPA with hint of blood. It's like it's like when you get a uh, uh, or some other seltzer where it's like it's grapefruit flavored, and you're like, eh, maybe they thought about grapefruit at one point as they manufactured yeah, this. Yeah, seriously, it was on the shelf next to it. Yeah, it, it drove past a fruit truck at one point <laughs> in its life. Uh, all right, Andrew, what you been working on? Hobby progress. So I did actually finish some things. Um, nice. Uh, on my Instagram, I just recently posted pictures of my uh, my orc beast boss on Squigasaur, um, who I kept pretty close to the uh, out-of-box instructions. I made him as uh, Morzog or whatever his name is with the big claw. Yeah. But I, I did have to manufacture my own boss pole for him because, I mean, he's the boss. He's got to have a boss pole. Um, Death Skull Colors, of course, because, you know, that's my whole army. Um, also finished the two knobs on Smash of Squigs. Um, got, you know, a couple little little details I need to fix. But other than that and basing, I'm calling them done. They're like 95% done officially. So uh, that's... 
uh, pretty much all I've gotten done because I was uh, mostly done the last time we recorded with them, and I just had a few things to work out, like teeth and claws and stuff like that. Little details. Um, trying to think of anything else. Uh, I'm spitballing ideas for a Necromunda gang at this point, just because of our last episode. Yeah. Um, I am contemplating taking the Deathcore of Krieg uh, kill team that I got in the box set, maybe converting them into some Chaos Helots. That could be kind of fun, uh, just because I like the idea of just going buck wild with the kit bashing and just making my own crazy force, even if the Chaos Helots are at best a mid-tier Necromunda gang. Well, you could always uh, do a Venator gang as well. That's true as well, yeah. Um, but I hear Chaos Spawn are pretty fucking brutal <laughs> if you actually can uh, can can fail one of your dark rituals and uh, turn your leader into one of them. So, hey, you never know. I could get good because I'm bad at rolling dice. For weeks and weeks, you've talked about nothing with a fucking redemptionist, and now you're like, on second thought. Well, knowing me, That's fair. I'm just going to do both. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. I'll, I'll have redemptionists for my like my clean, no, no conversions Necromunda gang, and then I'll also do Chaos because I, I have... <laughs> a decade worth of bits box to run through so there you go but anyway so uh what have you worked on have you had a chance to get anything done in slightly over a week uh i built a primaris apothecary nice it's good it's a good kit uh then i primed all of my black templar stuff so we had one day where it was above like 56 degrees when i got home and it was getting dark and i just ran outside just sprayed everything i had and then immediately brought it back in the house which uh don't recommend zero out of ten yeah. don't recommend primer smell for hours and hours prime primer spell primer smell lingers <laughs> it really I have, does i have definitely done the same thing and it's like huh i primed three days ago and my house still smells like paint yeah and then uh then i went hog wild on the templar release and got uh, another box of Crusaders, a um, Grimaldus, I got Hellbrecht, I got the chonky Castellan model that's so fucking awesome. That is a great model. Uh, an upgrade sprue, and a thing of the dice, because I like dice. And I always like, oh, if they ever come up with Templar dice, I'm fucking buying them. And lo and behold, they're Templar dice. Gotta get those Maltese crosses. Oh, they're for so cool looking. They're sharp and they're crisp. Uh, I, uh, I also uh, painted, this has absolutely nothing to do with Warhammer, but one of the Hexton Hills tiles that like you make D&D maps and like campaign maps and stuff like that out of, just mm-hmm. to kind of play around with techniques. I posted that up on my Instagram as well. It was uh, it's actually really fun to paint something like that. I think it turned out pretty well. Yeah, I like I like having a, a just not Warhammer model every now and again, just to to either try a new style or just to not think about your army or whatever. Yeah, it was a really good palette cleanser from the one Warhammer model I've painted in the past three weeks. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes being an adult gets in the way of playing with our tiny plastic soldiers. Oh, that's the fucking truth. Uh, and then I messed around with uh, wet blending a little bit, just watching the um, the video on Warhammer TV. I played with it on the back of one of the. Uh, the, what are they, Myrmidon Banshees or whatever from Sigmar? It was just a good flat panel, so. Oh, yeah, the Push Fit Ghosts? Yeah, I went from, like, white to purple to dark blue to black, I think is the yeah. color gradient I did. Yeah, anything with, uh, like, long flowing robes like that lends itself really well to, to wet blending. Yeah, I still need to go through it some more. I posted pictures of it as well, but... Like, I was like, oh, that looks pretty all right in person. And then you take a picture and you're like, Jesus, you can see every gradient line in that exactly where it was. Yeah, so. yeah. It it takes some practice to, to not look like you just have a, a clear divide between each color. Yeah, so that was kind of disappointing, but, you know. Well, you know it's practice. It's, it's, a, it's a place to start. 
Have we ever actually posted God, that is our, hobby. Have we posted our Instagrams before? I know we have the actual like podcast page, but I don't know if we've ever actually set our our Instagrams on the podcast. Oh, before. I don't know. Andrew, what is your Instagram handle? I am the brush goblin. Uh I I technically am a commission painter, but I'm always so swamped with my own shit, I don't have time for anybody else's. Nice. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> you can you can scroll through a significant portion of my backlog when I started it from like a year and a half ago. So and I am a the mediocre minis plural minis painter with underscores in between each word. Which Andrew, we should probably post on the actual podcast Instagram links to ours just for sake of ease on that. Yeah, that's probably not a terrible idea yeah. for the people who found our actual podcast Instagram. Fair enough, which is Dice Like Ice Podcast. Hey, advertising. Boom, we remembered some yeah. time. I mean, I, I have it in the splash at the very end, but most people, when it goes in the music, just turn it off. Oh, I, I, I do when I listen to it. <laughs> that's really hurtful. Hey, I mean, I know it by heart. That's fair. That's fair. It's almost like you were on the show. Almost. almost, it's almost like I had, almost like I had decision-making prowess when it came to these <laughs> things, and have have the password to the email. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I don't even think I've saved the email on our phone. I'm not gonna lie. That's cool. I know it. Good. <laughs> yeah. So hey, if anybody wants to reach out and check out anything, send us model pics, send us any questions, concerns, comments, anything. Feel free to email us at dicelikeicepodcast at gmail dot com. If you just want to call us stupid, that's cool. We'll just block you. Yep. Or we won't. Hey, I'll unblock you. Won't. Andrew will block could... you, and I will unblock you. I got your back, yeah. listener. We'll, we'll, we'll have our antagonistic, uh, playful ribbing, you know. Hey, hey, if you have made it eight, technically nine episodes into our podcast, and you want to hassle us, by all means. Sure. Like, I'll take it's, it. You want to waste your time with us? Hell yeah, we'll waste your time. <laughs> professional let's get back to it waste. so oh, yeah. any other any other hobby progress uh, that's that's pretty much it uh, i also totally didn't read on games workshop site where it's like the black templar stuff comes out on black friday so i was like oh uh, i'm gonna get all my templars huh. this weekend and then i was like oh no i'm not <laughs> <laughs> i'm i'm so happy that there's not stuff coming out that i'm like ah i have to get this because i still have just a hefty stack of 40k orcs to get through. <laughs> yeah, I think that this is kind of the end of all the crazy stuff I'm purchasing because they uh they brought out all the battle force boxes. Nothing really piqued my interest. Uh, I am honestly, I am interested in the Necron box just because I I really want to paint those new models. I'm not going to, but they uh those new sculpts have they're they're pretty high on my list of eh, if I want a second 40k army again at this point, maybe I'll go robot Terminator skeleton vampires. Uh, why we, did I say vampire? I don't know. I don't know why you said vampire. Reach out to Start Will. The, He's got some um some of the, the Indominus Croms floating around. Yeah, uh, if I do that, it'll be it'll be months from now before you call me stupid. The Catan or star vampires. Boom. Uh, <laughs> No, shut up. Pokemon. Po what? Pokemon? <laughs> yeah, they keep capturing them in shards. It's it's a joke. Uh, it's like a constant Necron oh, meme okay, or yeah. the Katana or their Pokemon. Fair enough. Speaking of Pokemon, you got any games played? That was a terrible segue, but I'm going to roll with it. You got any games played? Horrible segue. It's not uh, even going to be the worst one tonight. No, I don't, because I'm uh, going on a, a international trip for the holiday soon, and I've been just getting shit prepared for that. So. Oh, fair enough. I, How about you? I did. I played a game. So I went, uh, went with Will to go hang out with his brother, Andrew. Ironically, not hey. the Will, the other Will and Andrew, because there's so fucking many Wills and Andrews in this group. Apparently. Uh, and one of our old friends, Jordan, we did uh, what we call the Homebound Ham Slam, which is just going to his house and having some beers and cigars and playing some Warhammer. 
Uh, Jordan's still fairly new to playing, so I brought four 1,000 points lists with me. I brought my Templars, um, an Imperial Guard list, a Tyranid list, and a Sister of Battle list. I was like, I'm going to play my Templars. I want to learn them a little bit. He went with the Guard. Uh, I'm dumb as shit and didn't actually make any of the lists where they could fight the Guard at all. And so, because, you know, when I play Guard, I play Armor. So his 1,000-point list was a Tank Commander, uh, an Executioner, um, three Chimeras, a Manticore, three Squads, a Company Commander, and two Sentinels. Which, that's a lot of tanks when the only anti-tank weapons I have in my entire Black Templar army are two Power Fists in a Crusader Squad. Nice, yeah. nice. Uh, so I got to see what it was like being on the other end of one of my armies. Sweet Jesus, that was pretty brutal. He ended up winning that game, Jordan did. It was a very close game, though, solely because he got first turn. Uh, so, you know, I immediately lost my Crusader squad. Oh, and I had an apothecary. Uh, I immediately lost my Crusader squad, and just my bike chaplain got just gunned down by a Lehman Russ with nothing he not could do about it. Booked her cycle, oh, my no. God. He did not. We, he was doing a wheelie into heaven. It was <laughs> He was, it was a, bad. riding on a, a reading pain boat. Yeah. Wah, 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 nah, nah, nah. How do I delete Thanks. someone else? Oh, you know what? I have the power to delete your comment. That's it. You could just you could just kick me from the Skype chat. Right. There we go. Episode's done, everybody. <laughs> That's it. Podcast <laughs> over. Reading pain. <laughs> but um but on the first turn, you know, I was like, okay, I'm gonna have to risk it or I'm gonna get shot down. I made two eleven or an eleven inch and a twelve inch charge. Wow. Yeah. It didn't matter. Oh, <laughs> I man. still lost, but I was at least able to throw a little bit of a wrench in. Uh, the Emperor's Champion got stuck in with a squad of guardsmen. It took him four assault phases to kill them all. To kill ten guardsmen. Oh, I was bad, dude. I would hit I, with I all of his attacks and wound with, like, one or two. I don't know what that says about either the Emperor's Champion or the guardsmen. Either the guardsmen are incredible badasses or the Emperor's Champion is just absolutely incompetent. Yeah, it was more Tony touching dice is what was happening there. Like I speak. Yeah, wolf. But uh, that was that was pretty entertaining. He's meant to kill characters. I didn't. I, the only character yeah was the company commander and the um, tank commander. Tank commander. Yeah. Uh, which the tank commander, my um, squad of blade guard veterans, with the uh, the apothecary, just ran up and started smashing tanks, trying to stab through and cut through those. And guard squads were just hurling themselves into the fight to try and chip wounds off of them. Which he got me down to one guy with fucking bayonet attacks. It was ridiculous. <laughs> the most potent weapons Jordan had that game were fucking heavy stubbers and bayonets. So, he, unlo- so he, he just went full World War II against you and won against sci-fi crazy space marine guys. He double tapped the Punisher cannon directly into the squad of dudes, caused one wound. He fired three shots from the fucking heavy stubber, hit with all three, wounded with all three, and I rolled triple ones, and he killed one outright. Beautiful. I was like, what is happening? Then guardsmen ran in and bayoneted another one in the throat, but the apothecary was able to bring one back. So, <laughs> oh. Stab him in the throat with a different sharp thing. Yeah. Uh, the, the apothecary having uh, the, the Emperor's Mercy or Absolution or whatever, their little bolt pistol that has uh, oh, they're, they're AP like... minus four. Which... Yeah, they're fucking like ridiculous Judge Dread gun. Yeah. It's got a three inch range, but in the assault phase, it's got. <laughs> in the assault phase, it's a pistol weapon, so it has one more AP. So it's just shooting holes in the tank with it. Jesus. So, uh, but yeah, Jordan, Jordan still ended up winning that one. 
he was still learning, so we didn't do all the secondaries and stuff like that. We just did your basic control one, control two, control more build on it. Yeah, that's a good way to uh, to introduce someone to the hobby, though. Have a nice close match, let have them win. You know, it's it's yeah, it's, it'll keep them in the hobby longer. Totally let him win. Absolutely, he's, uh, he's played a couple of games him. with Will's ad mech. So okay. next time we go out there, I'll I'll build a couple more other lists and you know reach out to him and be like, hey, what kind of stuff are you interested in? Because he wants to start his own army. So there's so many options. There really oh are. my god. But yeah, it, that's it, all I play. Thousands of flavors of Space Marine to choose from, let alone once you get into Xenos and Chaos. Oh, all right. So that's uh, that's really all the hobby progress and game played we have. So we're going to roll into our main segment on this episode, and that is Heroes of the Old World. We're not specifically talking Age of Sigmar. Some of these characters do still persist over into Age of Sigmar, but we're talking old school square base fantasy. And we're talking about that a little bit more because they keep releasing more information on the old world. So Andrew and I are each going to drop three of our favorite uh, beat face and or cool looking characters. Yeah, I, uh, oh, man, I, Warhammer Total War was such a good release for mm. getting people to actually give a shit about old world stuff again, which is like totally shooting themselves in the foot because that was like, what, three years after they destroyed the old world? <laughs> no, the first one... I think the first one was about the same time. First one was 2017, I want to say, maybe late 2016. No, really? I'm gonna Google that, so we're just gonna have. It's dead... been a, it's been a bit. I thought it was before then. then. No, it, it was definitely after they officially nuked the world, but not crazy long after. May 24th, 2016. 2016. There we go. But yeah, it did a really good job of uh, oh, bringing okay. some... Oh, okay, Age of Sigmar was 2015. I apologize. 2015, there we okay, go. So, so yeah. a, a year after the world was destroyed, they got uh, they brought it back, and a lot of people are like, hmm, this was actually a really cool setting. Yeah. <laughs> um, but one good thing about Total War is uh, it kind of fleshed out a lot of these characters, because yeah, there were really a lot did. of characters they added who had, like, a paragraph in, like, the third edition codex or whatever. I mean, there were, there were some... They, yeah, they it's made a lot an of army these... book. Actually, um, anyway, <laughs> um, so they did a good job of like just fleshing out the world in general. So hopefully they'll bring a lot of that energy to the new old world minis and lore setting once they get it all out. And because of Total War three about to come out in what three months, they're gonna have a uh, cafe be a big thing. So like a whole new faction that was never even that was just hinted at in the books. So it was. <laughs> It could end up being cool. Oddly enough, the Cathy faction, Cathay, Cathy, Cathay, whatever you want to call it, faction, China. Yeah, China, basically, <laughs> was hinted at more in the Skaven books than it was in most of the others, because that's where Clan Eshin would go train. You think they would be in Nippon, because that's that's uh, blatant Japan. Yeah. Well. Learning, learning their ninja trade from the actual ninjas. Does Nippon exist mm. in the old world? Yeah, it's Nippon, Cathay, and Arabay are China, Japan, and Arabia. Huh. Yeah, yeah, they were uh, not exactly the most imaginative yeah, when they were making their horror. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah, and a lot of the stuff would just say, like, it says they trained in the Far East, which, you know. Yeah. Well, it could, I mean, you know, China has its own martial arts and stuff, yeah. so maybe they just did a mix of both. Fair enough. It is a lot but of, anyway. like, Wushu jumping with the Skaven, so. That's definitely true. Crouching tiger, uh, hidden rat ninja. 
<laughs> ninja, ninja, ninja rat. rat. Go ninja, go ninja. Go ninja. Have we had an episode where we haven't done that? I don't think we did it last episode because we were our mind was purely set on That's child true. soldiers. That's true. You gotta love your child soldiers. <laughs> hey kid, you like violence? <laughs> <laughs> I can't have that as the poll quote for two episodes, Andrew. You can and you can. <laughs> should. It should just always be the poll quote. <laughs> um, anyway, who wants to start off with their their top three here? Us. <laughs> uh, I'll go first because I got one because he's going to be a first striker. All right, all right. So uh, one of my favorite heroes in the old world, who unfortunately does not technically exist in Age of Sigmar, is the chief assassin of Clan Eshin, Deathmaster Snitch. Uh, he is one of the. Deathmasters. He's the premier Deathmaster for Clan Ashen. He is the king of all assassins. Um, he, uh, let's see, what does it say? It says, as long as no one knows the location of the chief assassin, no one is safe. Pretty much any time someone has died in the old world, their death is attributed to him. That's saying a lot, because a lot of people die in the old yeah, world. Yeah, like big people, kings, anything like that. Uh, he, okay. he has this magical cloak of shadows. Which, uh, it's woven from stolen human hair and spider silk. Gross. Yeah, right? You know. I mean, I guess it doesn't have to be that big, because they're not huge. But if you look at his model, it, uh, the new, I hate the new model. The new model's terrible looking to me. Has the clothes, Does he have a new model? New, quote-unquote. It came out in, like, 7th edition. It's, uh, now just the generic Deathmaster model, where he's got the three weeping blades, one in the tail, and his cloak kind of, like, flipped up over him. Gotcha. Yeah, I remember that model. Yeah, it's, I don't know, it's it's got a weird flow to it. It's okay. Yeah. Okay. Five out of ten. Yeah, exactly. So he's uh, he's got the Cloak of Shadows that helps him infiltrate anywhere he wants to because he's functionally invisible. But let's see, the uh, one of the big like kills he had was Warlark Skut, S-S-K-U-T of Merkpit. Uh, he snuck in and neatly removed his head and stacked it upon a pile of 100 of his Storm Vermin bodyguard. So this dude went in, killed 101 people. People? Rat so people? He's, he's kind of the the ninja rat equivalent of like a John Wick. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, somebody killed his puppy. So he's just super pissed <laughs> someone, off Someone it. killed his puppy before he could because he's a skaven and they're all monsters. Yeah, uh, let's see. He killed... Uh, supposedly the bizarre death of Frederick Hasselhoffen and his entire house in Altdorf supposedly is attributed to Snitch. Uh, he always decapitates people. He rem- he neatly removes their head is like his little trademark. And then he scrawls his sigil onto it as well to leave his mark. So a lot of the kills quote unquote that are attributed to him are thought to be others as well. Uh, his like inner circle of assassins do it to kind of sow fear wider. He's killed the celestial wizard Heinrich Freichen, who is found flayed in his observatory tower with the doors still locked from the inside. It left the city watch mystified. Uh, the best part about that is, like, they all thought it was demons, but the whole reason it's not demons is because demons don't leave so few clues. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just like the idea of some witch hunter coming in and being all fucking uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes about it. It was like, mm, no, a demon would have left more blood. Yeah. Let me do my my quick snuff of, of warp snuff and I'm good to go. <laughs> so, uh, like most of the assassins of Clan Ashen, he trained in the Far East, which, like we were saying, is Gathy, Nepal, and Araby, around there. But 
his act, his achievements are what kind of really make him stand apart. Uh, he's also killed uh, Dwarf Lord Dromgar, who is the brother of King Belar of Kerak Eight Peaks. He was slain inside of the stronghold. No one saw it. They just found him dead and killed. Uh, he's also not just an assassin, but a master saboteur, as in burning down a lot of the uh, area of Lothran, bombing the entire Imperial Navy in Reichsport, and destroying the infamous Cog Dragon of Thornic Thorson at the Battle of Bitter Peak. Uh, his, uh, the weapon of choice he has are the Weeping Blades, which are, uh, not a pair, but it's three swords that are just weeping poison. He wields one in each hand and another in his tail. So he is a master swordsman and his rules sucked. <laughs> his rules in, uh, like, what is that, 5th, 6th, and 7th edition? I guess it was 5th and 6th and early 7th. He was amazing. He could hide inside of units and then, like, teleport out of them and move, and he would just, just kill anything he touched. Uh, then he became not as good in 8th edition when Hero Hammer wasn't as good. And then in Age of Sigmar, Deathmasters as a whole are just terrible, which is really disappointing. Ah, well. But yeah, so that's uh, that's one of my three. Uh, one of uh, the best quotes, you know, in like all the articles and stuff, like, there's always little quotes in them. The The best one for, Skaven, for uh, Snitch is, you owe your fur to the Night Lord. Uh, just your fur. <laughs> just Here's your, your fur, razor. Yeah. So, but yeah, uh, the deadliest assassin of Clan Eshin. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, like we were saying before we recorded, there's a lot of uh, a lot of heroes with, or not before we recorded, before we started. There's a lot yeah. of heroes with not too terribly much lore, but they they do a good job of like, I don't know, doing kind of like the subtle lore telling where they kind of let you fill in the gaps. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, he only had like what a page worth of info at if, most, but yeah, it's just like barely that. Oh, he's just like uh, he's this awesome ninja murder assassin, and you're just like, oh, who else has he killed? So <laughs> I, that's. Some fun storytelling. In, uh, in my head, it kind of goes to like the uh, the British heist movies, where like the guys will like be like portrait of this, nicked it; portrait of that, nicked it. Except it's niches like this guy killed him, this guy killed him, that guy <laughs> killed him too. I have a plan to kill everyone you meet. Right. All right. Well, I guess we'll go ahead and start with me then. Yeah, who you got? Uh, I have uh, similar to when we did our heroes of 40k. Uh, I went with the guy Space who just Marine? kind of. No, he's not a space marine. Uh, he's got enough armor to be one, but he's not. Um, I went with, uh, like, peak 80s metal vibe. Just over-the-top ridiculous blood and gore and skulls. You know, Karn the Betrayer-esque, but a little more little more uh, his own not-kill-crazy-berserker type. Uh, and that is Wolfric the Wanderer. So, he was a, uh, a famed Norskan Chaos champion who was renowned for taking, similar to, to uh, uh, your last guy, similar to taking the heads of all of his opponents. Uh, and so he would, like, hang them on chains from his belt, show off his might. So he, he would, well, loved challenging other Chaos champions to prove that he was the head honcho Chaos champion, essentially. Um, there was eventually a conflict between the Sarl and Aisling tribes of the north. Uh, and the Sarl King Vigdalnir, uh, something like that, uh, I love was, the fucking ridiculous names. 
they're over the top and ludicrous. Uh, he had heard of Wolfric's prowess as a warrior, and he said, hey, there's not enough I can really pay this guy, so I'm going to let him marry my daughter, and when I die, he'll become the king. This this should be enough to, to sway him to our side, because he's just too high of a price of a mercenary otherwise. And Wolfric's like, yeah, King Wolfric sounds pretty cool. I'll do that. <laughs> and so he uh, goes up against the Aceling Chaos champion Torgald in a famous battle that became known as the Battle of 1,000 Skulls because this is Warhammer, goddammit. <laughs> Eventually he's able to best him, ends up taking his magic sword. Uh, there is a huge victory feast afterwards to uh, <laughs> where Wolfric drinks, I shit you not, eight entire barrels of mead because, again, this is Warhammer and everything is ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> eight barrels. Eight barrels of mead would kill, I don't know, a horse, an elephant, but definitely not Wolfric, apparently. Uh, and while he is completely smashed off these barrels of mead, he boasts that he can defeat anything from ogres to dragons to the emperors of far-off Cathay. It doesn't matter. He'll kill it. And that's totally fine until he says he can beat anyone from the mortal plane or the realms beyond. And then he passes out. And he has horrible visions where this emissary of, of some kind of demon shows up and he's like, yo, you pissed off all the chaos gods and you are officially fucked unless you do exactly what they tell Someone's you to do on the shit list for the rest of your life otherwise <laughs> when you go to the afterlife you won't get to walk in the halls of your ancestors because this is blatant viking nonsense <laughs> And so, Wolfric wakes up with a splitting headache, because he drank eight barrels of mead. Uh, but not only does he have a hangover, he also has a new ability called uh, the Gift of Tongues, where he is able to perfectly replicate any language, but only in delivering the perfect curses and challenges that get anyone... <laughs> super tilted and want to fight him so he can't speak dwarvish for shit unless it's to say hey fuck you come fight me in the perfect way okay <laughs> so yeah he's he's perfectly able to insult anything it doesn't matter what it is no matter who it is he can piss it off to where it will fight him one-on-one -on -one. uh and so he is uh given his first task by nurgle and he's like hey you get to kill a guy for me because you fucked up and you get to do this for the rest of your life. Sorry, dude. And he's like, well, that sucks. What I got to do, Nurgle? And Nurgle's like, go all the way down to the lands of Kemri, you know, half the world away, and you got to kill this one specific Tomb King for me. And he's like, damn, that's going to be a really long walk. I'm not going to fucking do that. And so he sends a while uh, searching around for anything that'll help him on this journey until he eventually comes across uh, some gossip about this chaos witch named uh, Baga Yar, who uh, is said to possess an artifact that will allow you to go anywhere in the world like almost immediately. And he's like, well, I got to follow up on this because I don't want to walk that far far and so he eventually assaults her stronghold kills all of her demons because she's a witch so of course she can summon stuff chaos and all that yeah uh, they, they leave them. clues yeah <laughs> uh and finds this artifact which uh, turns out to be a viking launch long ship known as sea fang uh and whenever he gives it an offering of his blood he's able to uh sail upon the tides of chaos and so he can go from the mortal realm to the seas of chaos and then appear somewhere else almost immediately and he's like wow this is cool we can get to kimri in like a day instead of years so they do that kick the shit out of the two king uh and then 
after that, he spends a while trying to welch out of his deal where he's like, well, I got to talk to every single chaos sorcerer and wizard and witch I can come across to see if there's any way to break this curse. And of course, he can't. They all fail. He goes and talks to like high elf sorceresses. He talks to chaos wizards. He tries to find like empire wizards. Just none of it. None of it works. All of them, of course, say, yeah, of course we can do that. Just go do this stuff for me, which of course snowballs into him killing every witch and wizard he ever meets because he's so pissed off about it does that for a few years and then eventually he's like all right fine i'll just lean into this i'll become chaos's champion it's fine whatever this is fun anyway i don't care <laughs> and so he becomes like the ultimate chaos undivided champion where he he keeps taking like hit contracts from every god he'll just wake up with a vision from like corn and he's like hey you got to go kill x y and z for me and he's like all right you got it boss and so he just roams across the land challenging anything he can slowly accruing this giant pile of tro trophies he wears like a ludicrous amount of skulls and pelts and bro broken shields and swords and stuff all over him to the point where he honestly shouldn't be able to fight but you know it's 80s metal so he can yeah. of course um Let's see. Do, 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 do. So over the course of his illustrious career, he is able to kill uh, Chaos Lords, Tomb Kings, Forsaken, which are like Chaos Spawn that are so powerful they don't go full Chaos Spawn, but they don't actually become Chaos, or like Chaos Demon Princes. It's it's a weird thing in fantasy. Um, he kills demons. He kills giants. Well, I always thought those were the, uh, the equivalent of a Demon Prince in fantasy. Well, they're super strong, but they don't like go full-blown demon prince gotcha. so they're, they're like they're like super spawn essentially uh he kills chaos trolls he kills dwarf lords champions and priests of sigmar empire nobles and lords wizards from pretty much every college of magic vampires white kings merworms dark elf sorceresses high elven champions ogre lords chaos bull dwarf centaur lords and dragons and then he is eventually finally killed in the end times by Valton, Sigmar's chosen champion. He is killed with Galmaraz, the Warhammer of Warhammer fame. It's the only thing that was able to finally put him down. And that is Wolfric the Wanderer. And I can leave on a quote from his page where he has his perfect insult for a dwarf lord. Face me if you dare, you stunted whelp, or do you lack even an elven maid's courage? I thought the sons of Grungni were great warriors, but perhaps you are no true dwarf. Indeed, maybe you are instead some breed of bearded goblin, though in truth I have seen a finer beard <laughs> on a troll's backside. It's <laughs> a good quote. So that is that is one of his many perfect insults to uh, initiate a trial by combat. Well, that would uh, that would actually lead really really well into my next character. And my next character is the legendary dwarf, the white bearded ancestor, Grom Brindle himself. He's got a magazine after him. You can't top that. So, you know, wins. He is the he is quintessential the white dwarf. The white dwarf. Yeah, so Grom Brindle is one of like the many names this dude was known by. Uh, when you're talking about stolen straight from, like, Viking mythos, uh, this guy takes that and multiplies it by tenfold. So the White Dwarf is kind of this almost ancestor spirit-esque character that every dwarf knows about. Uh, it says every... It is said that every dwarf from the youngest beardling to the most wizened long beard can recite the saga of Grom Brindle from memory. It's like this hundreds and hundreds of verse long saga about how he just strides through the mountains, shows up whenever he's needed, beats the shit out of whatever that needs beating the shit out of, and then just wanders away. So in the, the very kind of like old school Norse mythology style, he's generally seen as this old, almost 
not decrepit, but this old, like, road-weary traveler in, like, a cloak wandering around. And if you... He's usually seen before big battles and things like that, or really desperate ploys. And if he's given ale, like, fine ale, he basically will help them in the battle. If they don't give him ale, he just kind of wanders on. So it's that whole, like, you know, any you always treat all the other wandering dwarves because you never know which one is actually Grombrendel. So he, uh... He actually has a lot of stuff bestowed by the dwarven gods to him. The weapon he wields is the Rune Axe of Grimnir. It's mentioned in like all of his sagas, and it was supposedly granted to him by Grimnir himself, who is like one of the the big dwarven gods. He also wears the Rune Cloak of Valea, which is a great, beautiful, embroidered cloak that was woven by the dwarven god Valea. He wears this, uh, his armor is nigh impenetrable. It's called Glimmeril armor. It's, uh, it's the only set of it in Dwarven make. And it's supposedly the scales of armor that were made by Glimmeril, which is one of, like, the ancestor gods. Or, sorry, Glimmeril is made by the ancestor gods. But to find the first piece of it, it was after the Battle of Thrang, he slew 10,000 Chaos Warriors to rescue the foolhardy Ungi no chance and his folk, and he found a single scale of the armor clutched in the teeth of the, uh, the Chaos Lord that he killed. But this dude just went hog wild and killed 10,000 Chaos Warriors. So the origins of him are kind of cloudy at best, like a lot of things in the old world. Some think that he's Snorri Whitebeard, who is the king of uh, Karaz Akarak, the only dwarf to ever actually have earned the respect of the High Elf King. Uh, I, I love this little bit. It was a long time ago, before the War of the Beard. I want to know what the War of the Beard was. Oh, uh, I can't remember exactly who instigated it, but this that, was a total War Warhammer thing. Uh, it okay, because um, okay, I I, like, I've never heard of what the War of the Beard is. Yeah, it was, I think it was... It might have been Dark Elves or Chaos. I can't remember which because I've read a lot of lore and I don't remember all of it. Uh, but essentially, like, emissaries from the dwarves were sent to the High Elves in the way back when before yeah, yeah. they hated each the, other. Long, long and ago. Yeah, and they were intercepted by, I think it was Dark Elves. Uh, and they had their beards shaven off, which is, like, the gravest yeah, insult. They, they, would, they would rather have died and then got sent back to the dwarves. And the dwarves were like, those fucking elves, they cut off our beards. And so they just started a war of the beard because that's the gravest insult. So that's that's how you piss a dwarf off. Yeah. Oh, okay, well, now you know. Uh, there you go. So a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people think he's Snorri Whitebeard. Others claim that he was a paramour of Valea, who he got his cloak from. Uh, the saga contains those and no less than forty-three other suggestions of who he might be. So no one truly knows who he is. Uh, he could just be kind of this wandering spirit. He could be a god. Nobody knows because, like all things in Warhammer Fantasy, the less you know, the more you can story tell about it. Uh, okay, yeah, so the first mentions of the Great Dwarf came from the time of the War of the Beard, where he came down and just absolutely just stomped elves into the ground. Uh, when the Alliance had been shattered by Discord is when he just really went hog on him. He's also participated in the Battle of Tor Elysi, which is where his fighting prowess really spread, and he was given just the simple name of the White Dwarf instead of Grombrindel, which just means... Um, uh, what is it, bearded ancestor, white bearded ancestor. 
So he's had a lot of really cool models throughout his time as well, including some 40K ones. Uh, he's been a tech priest. He's been in a birthday cake. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the birthday cake's great. I love that one. Happy birthday, Mr. Hiking. <laughs> Uh, the festive Grombrendel's also super great too. See that one pretty commonly, but let's see what's a good quote. Let's scroll through some of his good quotes here. Uh, all right, so uh, yeah, when they quote about him, the last rays of crimson sunlight bled across the battlefield as the sun set over a day's carnage. The last handful of dwarf warriors had held off the goblin attack, but with the coming of night, the goblins' confidence would be bolstered. They would attack again, and this time they would leave no survivors. One by one, the battle-weary dwarves began to chant their death songs, one by one, until only a single cloaked figure remained in resolute, defiant silence. All right, the white dwarf. Dwarf Odin. Dwarf Odin, yeah, pretty much. And he's got both eyes, and he doesn't wield a spear. That's fair, that's fair. I mean, he could wield a spear, but that's not very dwarfy. It's it's really not. Spears aren't very common in the old world, which I find kind of strange, actually. Yeah, it's pretty much, what, just high elves? Uh, Yeah, just high elves and skeletons. Peasants for Bretonia? Do they have spears, or is it just pitchforks? No, the peasants in Bretonia used um, halberds. Oh, or, there you um, go. It's, uh, like, it, it's uh, like a spear Bar- with an axe, Bar- even better. Oh my god, it starts with a B. It's like Bardachi? Bardachi, Bardachi something yeah. like that. That thing. French. Yeah, it's, it's a French halberd. All right, cool. Well, uh, let's go to the polar opposite of dwarves and go with goblins next. Or high elves, the polar opposite of dwarves. I don't know. Uh, ooh, that's... I don't know. I think they might... They might hate goblins more, but only just. I think it's like a rock, paper, scissors sort of thing there. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. But anyway, I'm going to go with uh, the most powerful and uh, cunning of all the goblins, Skarsnik, the warlord of Eight Peaks. So uh, Eight Peaks has been lost to the dwarves for ages. Uh, It got taken over by various goblin bands and Skaven, and it just traded hands throughout time. Uh, It's like... The, the pinnacle of the dwarf dream is to get back Carrick Eight Peaks because it's like the seat of their power back in the day. Uh, they just haven't had it for several hundred years at this point. Uh, and so Skarsnik was actually born born for goblins that yeah. sprouted like mushrooms, essentially. Uh, born to a gang in Carrick Eight Peaks known as the Backstairs Boys because they were just like, they were essentially stuck in one of the back hallways of one of the smallest mountains that nobody gave a shit about them at all. Um... Uh, they were a sub-faction of the Crooked Moon tribe. And like all goblins, uh, when they were born, they're just taken into slavery by those that are bigger than them because that's how orcs and goblins do. Um, but Skarsnik was significantly smarter and more cunning than all the other goblins. And so he was able to uh, work his way up to kind of the top of the pile, even though he was a runt of the litter. Like he was small even by goblin standards. Uh, and so he became what is known as a runt boy, which is essentially a leader of a very small tribe of goblins where he he was able to have his own muscle he had like his little his little tiny corner of Eight peaks that was his but he was no by no means the warlord at this point um he actually ended up becoming very wealthy for a goblin because he was able to make allies with uh screecrit yellowtooth who was a fang leader from clan moors who had been captured by the goblins and he was able to kind of like sneak him out and uh, use him as a way to kind of like trade spoils of war and get stuff that the goblins want and in exchange for stuff that the Skaven wanted. So he actually had like this little like underground uh, like empire going on for a little bit. He was eventually caught by the warlord at that point Um some no-name goblin who ends up dying it doesn't matter yeah. <laughs> um and he was actually about to be executed for it because 
they hated the Skaven. They constantly fought them for the control of the Karak Eight Peaks. But the day he was going to be executed, a Dwarven expeditionary force had come back, and they're going, ah, we're going to take back Karak Eight Peaks, goddammit. They got their asses kicked. But during the chaos, uh, Skarsnik got knocked into an underground river and was washed out of the mountains. <laughs> uh, so he was lucky to not drown on top of not get killed by dwarves, on top of not get killed by his fellow goblins. I thought goblins were great uh, swimmers. I imagine he was. His hands were probably bound. What with the whole execution thing, Not but fair. you know, he he survived, so it was fine. Uh, so he got washed out through an underground river, uh, out of the mountains, came out to you know sky above his head for the first time in his life, and is very uh, uh, confusing situation for him. And of course, he's immediately captured by the Wolf Rider goblins, <laughs> and hey, put back into slavery right off the bat. Um, he is taken by uh, the leader of the Wolf Riders, who is an enormously fat goblin known as Great Grills Griff Makiki de Cunnin. <laughs> That's a name. Yep. I'll say it again. Great Grillzer Griff Makiki de Cunnin. <laughs> uh, he immediately recognized uh, the, the the level of cunning that Skarsnik had because he's a boss of goblins. You got to be pretty cunning to, to get to that point. Mm-hmm. And so he's like... I could maybe make this guy work for me at some point, but he's a little too cunning right now. I'm going to put him in slavery for a few years. And so he did. He was just locked in a cage for like five plus years and, you know, whipped into submission, et cetera, et cetera. But during that time, uh, Skarsnik is actually able to learn Reichspiel, which is the language of the humans because they're faux German, and Kazalid, which is the dwarven language. Uh, and this really impressed uh, Makiki. I'm not going to say his whole name every time. Uh, and he's like, all right. You've been a slave long enough. I think you've learned not to stab me in the back. I'm gonna, I'm gonna trust you as much as a goblin can trust a goblin. You're gonna become a spy for me because you can speak all these languages. And so Skarsnik does that for a while. He's actually really good at it. He's uh, really good at infiltration, taking notes because he's actually literate as far as goblins go. Uh, really good at sneaking up and stabbing people in the back of the knee and then slitting their throat when they fall down. You know, all kinds of fun goblin stuff. He eventually does what he does. He gets another band of goblins who are like, this guy's actually really cool, even though he's a little runt. Like, he's he's actually just a really good goblin and a really good leader. And he's, if anytime someone steps up to him, he fucking cuts him down, whether, like, right in front of people or killing him at night or whatever. Uh, eventually, Makiki to Cunnan's like, hey, you're trying to take my job. And Skarsnik's like, no, I'm not. What are you talking about? And he actually wasn't. He did not want to be a leader. He just wanted to escape to get back to Carrick Eight Peaks because that was his home. Uh, but he had such a big like horde of goblins at his back at this point that he's like, well, okay, I guess I'll kill you. <laughs> And so he does and becomes the leader of the Wolf Rider tribe. Uh, and he's like, all right, well, I'm the leader now. I'm going back to Carrick. And everybody's like, yeah, Carrick Eight Peaks is cool. Plenty of loot to be had there. Fun. Uh, and so they run back to Carrick Eight Peaks, slowly snowballing more and more goblin and orc tribes. He's eventually powerful enough that even orcs are subservient to him because they know you don't mess with Skarsnik. Uh, they get back to Carrick Eight Peaks and they find that the gates are closed, which is something that hasn't happened since the dwarves took or had it back in the day. And Skarsnik's just like, all right, this is weird. The gates are never closed. Any goblins welcome to come in because, you know, everybody's welcome to the share of the loot if they can fight and be subservient to the boss. And so he tells all of his wolf riders, hey, I'm going to do the stupidest thing in my life and I'm going to go in on my own in this secret tunnel I knew from when I was a kid. I'll be back in a bit. And so he goes off on his own and is immediately captured because why wouldn't he be? Um, what was his name? Uh, he gets captured by his... Uh, childhood 
bully, Snotrook, who has declared himself <laughs> the big boss of the Crooked Moon tribe because the reason the gates were closed was that the Skaven had done a flash attack and taken over the Eight Peaks over the course of like two nights. And so they were able to split the tribes asunder. And now they're like, they, they do what goblins and orcs do when they don't have a, a head leader that's in charge of everything. And they split into warring factions. And so they all have their own little corners of Carrick Eight Peaks again. And, of course, as luck would have it, Skarsnick runs into his childhood bully who has him thrown into a pit. And he's just like, yeah, I'm going to have you killed. I, I don't want to deal with you. And so he sends out the biggest squig that they captured, uh, who, shockingly enough, this is from one of the books. I didn't feel like going into it, but it was a squig that he actually saved from Snotruck as a kid. Oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, and so it imprinted on him, and it's like, oh, you're the one who saved me from that beating that one time. And so he leaps out of the pit and eats Snotruck, and Skarsnick's like, neat, you're my pet now, and I'm going to name you Gobla, because he gobbled up Snotruck so good. Uh, <laughs> so seeing this this giant squig that is now under the control of Skarsnick, all the other goblins are like, cool, he's the boss now, because that's how orcs and goblins do. There's like, yeah, he, he killed the boss, he wins. He's it's the boss it's very necromonger, you keep what you kill. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So until there's someone else who thinks they're big and bad enough to take him on, he's the boss, and nobody wants to do that because he has a giant squig under his control now who can eat a goblin in one bite. Uh, and so Skarsnick's like, all right, well, I gotta take my, my home back from these stupid Skaven. And so he spins several years like consolidating all these war bands he's eventually able to open the gates and get the wolf riders in and he's eventually able to uh sweep out the skaven who are led by his previous ally uh what the hell was his goofy name screak it yellow tooth uh and he's eventually able to out cunning the skaven because he's so smart and so cunning that he's able to to set up these ambushes that even the most conniving skaven isn't able to think of and eventually pushes them back and completely takes over the entirety of Carrick eight peaks and becomes the known as the warlord of Karakate Peaks. And uh, he, even just to have fun, he eventually lets another dwarven expeditionary force in and lets them take over one of the eight peaks. And he's like, oh, those dang dwarves, they took the hold from us. And the dwarves are like, ah, we're taking back our homeland. But at literally any point, he could completely demolish them. He just lets them keep it so that when they decide to come out, his goblins can have some fun on occasion. <laughs> uh and he is the strongest greenskin in the entire Warhammer world, just barely behind Grimgor Ironhide, who's like the Gazgul Thraka yeah. of Warhammer Fantasy Battle. But uh, as far as actual forces go, he might even have more greenskins at his beck and call than Grimgor does. He just could never actually win because Grimgor is worth like three armies on his own because he's the biggest and the strongest. Um, and the only other orc before them that came close was Azog the Slaughterer, who is a really cool one as well, but we're yeah. not going to get into him right now. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so that is my uh, my second pick. Nice. The bestest goblin what's ever existed. So uh, so Carrick Egg Peaks eight, uh, so Carrick Eight Peaks is basically just like Kazad Doom and Moria, right? Like functionally. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's just dwarves want their homeland back. Goblins, goblins want to take it. Else everything else. We're no. like, hey, this is some cool place. Let's uh, fuck around here. Maybe there's a bloodthirster down there to be the Balrog. Right. I don't know. All right, so uh, so for my third and final character, uh, it's probably what I think is the coolest character in all of Warhammer Fantasy, who I want to say got done dirty in Age of Sigmar, except he lost being a named character, so you could field an army of him. So that's kind of broken and cool as shit. But, uh, and that is going to be the Green Knight, the champion of the Lady of the Lake of Bretonian fame. 
So he is this ethereal, supernatural knight who is at the beck and call of the Lady of the Lake, who's functionally like the goddess of the Bretonians. Um, he where like everything he has is this weird net natural, this weird natural color. Weird, weird natural. You can tell I'm from Georgia all of a sudden. Fuck. Yeah, boy. Apparently when he's, he's, he's wearing his camo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tur- turns out when I get a tall boy of 7%, my southern comes out a bit. I apologize. Oh, boy. <laughs> we gonna get some hunting dogs? We's gonna get us a dare. <laughs> <laughs> you all right, Edgar? my cider back. Oh, so bad. (laughs) Well, that's right. All right. Uh, So he's bedecked in this weird, almost like greenish gray glowing armor that he wears, his horse wears, his feathers are that way. Even his sword glows like this ethereal green. Uh, So how knights work in Bretonia is there's technically ranks of knights. Uh, You start off as... um, uh, a knight errant who's one step above a squire. They kind of they go with knights of the realm into battle and stuff like that. They're a lot more hot headed. Then you become a knight of the realm. Uh, after that, you become a questing knight, and the questing knights basically just go around to hunt the biggest and the baddest things, uh, and they try and like prove their worth to the lady of the lake to be bestowed the gifts of the grail, which is uh, it's immortality is what the gift of the grail really kind of boils down to. So questing knights go off, they'll band together in fights, but usually they go on their own. And one of the tests that the Lady of the Lake does for the later test to see if they're worthy is they have to fight the Green Knight. Uh, If you're familiar with the Arthurian legend or you've seen the movie, The Green Knight, it's that same kind of thing. Which is really good, I recommend Oh, it's a fantastic film. It's not a movie, it's an actual film. So don't go into a thing if it's going to be some off-the-wall action movie. Like, it's, it's actually... It's, it's cinema. cinema. It's cinema, yes. You'll find it at your little local indie theaters to watch. Uh, so he... Oh, there we go. Yeah. So they have to they have to prove their worth by fighting the Green Knight. If they can prove their worth against the Green Knight, not necessarily defeat him, but prove their worth in a duel. Then, I.e. not die. Well, not die or do some other test that he has them do. There's... Like in some of the lore, there's all kinds of stuff they do. There's like the you know the blow for a blow thing. There's a hunt a creature. There's all kinds of stuff. It depends on the knight. It depends on. So there's technically one green knight, but he can manifest anywhere across all of Bretonia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if they if they prove their worth in the duel, then they're allowed to take a sip from the blessed grail, which gives them immortality and makes them a grail knight. Uh, so he's the like I was talking about. He's the sacred protector, and his spirit intertwines with the entire land of the Lady of the Lake. Um, they speak of the sky clouding over and like creating darkness and twilight whenever they're near him. So they they go looking for him and him to challenge. And when he's ready to be challenged by them, everything kind of gets all dark and spooky and foggy. And he shows up with this glowing green sword and like blazing eyes. Uh, riding his horse and we'll you know talk with him and have the duel and very climactic yeah uh so he has participated in a lot of fights he will show up whenever bretonia is in dire need of a hero uh he'll usually strike out with grail knights and things like that uh he is known as uh, i'm gonna butcher this word because it's a lot of random letters uh shabek 
by the Beastmen, which means Soul Killer, because he's killed untold thousands of their kind throughout the centuries. He just, like, bursts out from within these ancient trees, or gallops from a lake, or runs through waterfalls, and just absolutely butchers them. And then after he's killed them all, he literally just fades away and will disappear. Sometimes he'll pop back in again right behind things and kill them and then fade away. So he's this... I mean, he's functionally a ghost. Uh, so since he's got that kind of ethereal quality to him, weapons and things will just pass right through him. Uh, even, like, super grievous wounds don't even hurt him. In one tale, a questing knight was in a duel with him and cut his head clean from his shoulders. And the green knight was like, cool, you won, and picked up his head and rode away. Yeah. Uh, so what he is, no one truly knew in the old world Bretonia, like before end times. Uh, they say the fan trait enchantress might have known who he was, but he was believed to be the spirit of Bretonia given physical form. Uh, one of, uh, one of the best battles he was in was in the Vale of Quinellis. There, he was under attack by the band of the Thunderbite Goblins, and the Knights of the Realm and stuff were just absolutely killing just tons and tons of goblins. And then the goblins deployed their secret weapon, which was an army of drunk giants who just started walking through the knights because their lances weren't doing anything and just kicking them down and just taking them out. Uh, so, you know, they're shooting at these knights with bows and trebuchets and, like, nothing is doing anything. And then from the ancient oak tree in the center of the battlefield, the green knight just appears and rides forth and just starts killing giants. Just one stroke by one stroke, he just kills a giant every single time. Uh, no one really... Like, it didn't describe who the green knight was until the end times released. Uh, during the end times, he removed his helmet before he rode against the traitor vampire Malabode. And it was revealed that he was uh, Giles Le Breton, who was, like, the first king of Bretonia. He unified all the fiefdoms into the kingdom of Bretonia. He had, um, he, he had Excalibur, basically. He had, uh, what is it called in here, like, Del, Del, uh, the Delorious Blade. Some sort of immense size and weight. But it's Excalibur. Delorean Blade. Yeah, yeah seriously. It came, from, uh, it came from the future. They threw it back at 88 miles an hour. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he basically has Excalibur and he was King Arthur. Uh, rode forth and slayed the... He slayed the vampire Malabode. Uh, it said his ageless face shone with a fey light and his countenance bore the weight of raw centuries. And he was uniting to once more as the king of Bretonia in the end times. And then everything burned away. Uh, so the good quote of the Green Knight is, The holder of secrets and the keeper of the way, whose strength is the quester's ultimate test. He doesn't talk a lot, so. He's just green and swords, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Arthurian Legend's always pretty awesome. And well, as we said with, you know, Cathay and Nippon, they weren't exactly the most imaginative with a lot of their backstory, but they did a good job of, like, twisting it to serve their needs and making it their own thing. Yeah, he's he's a really weird mix of the Green Knight, Lancelot, and King Arthur. Yeah, he's just like distilled Arthurian legend. Yeah. All right, cool. cool so, uh, unfortunately, you can't get Bretonians anymore, uh, but you can get the Green Knight in Warhammer Total War. I, oh, uh, dude. The Green Knight, when he lost the character keyword and you could run him as all of your hero slots, and he had a three-up save that couldn't be affected by Rend, and he could teleport into battle, 
and he had a like he was he was so stupidly powerful. That is ludicrous. But hey, that's hilarious. what happens when you can have an army of ghost knights. <laughs> yeah, you know what? My lances didn't get any better on the charge. So yeah, well, win some, you lose some. But anyway, so uh, we'll we'll finish off with my third choice for heroes of uh, the old world, and I'm going to go with my favorite, the bestest vampire of all, Vlad von Karstein, uh, who is essentially Count Dracula, but better. Uh, so he started off his own life as, oh, let's see if I can pronounce this, Vashanesh, uh, a Khmeri general from back before the Tomb Kings were the Tomb Kings and were just the kings. <laughs> um he is uh, of the same line as the arch-necromancer Nagash, um, and he was gifted the curse of vampirism from Neferata, who is one of, the, I think she was the first vampire, because she she drank the, the elixir of, quote, life that Nagash gave her, and it just made her a horrible undead monstrosity. She's, uh, a, she's still floating around in Age of Sigmar. Yes, she is. Uh, she got the first sip of the elixir of life, and Vashanesh got the last sip. He was the last mortal that they encountered, where she's like, he is badass enough to deserve to be one of us. He is going to be the last true vampire. Uh, and so he uh, joined Neferata and Nagash and all their legions in trying to turn uh, Lamia and all of the other Nehekaran lands into lands of undeath under the control of the Arch Necromancer. Uh, during this time, he was gifted a magical ring by Nagash that made him truly unkillable. He was literally able to come back from any wound, it didn't matter how bad, stake to the heart, you know, any vampire killing method anyone could ever think of. It would bring him down, he would just get back up like half a day later and be like, alright, here we go, I'm good. Chumbawamba uh, style. Exactly. Uh, but the thing was, the ring also gave him one Nagash 100% control over Vashanesh and all of his forces. Like, he just completely got all of the vampires under his yoke, made them just complete slaves. Um, but... Uh, after several centuries of toying with necromancy on his own on the side, Vashanesh was able to eventually break the curse. And like the minute he did that, uh, all of the vampires under Nagash's control just fled. They were just like, fuck this, we're out. We've been slaves to this guy for like half a millennia. I don't want to deal with this shit anymore. So all the vampires just bailed. And he was able to keep the, the good parts of this ring and it kept him unkillable, which was pretty rad. Uh... He was eventually done with the deserts. He didn't want to deal with the Tomb Kings anymore. And so he made his way north to what was uh, the Empire Lands at that time. And he came across the land of Sylvania. Wonder where they got that name from. <laughs> uh... And which was at that point under the rule of uh, Otto von Drach, who was a tyrannical count, uh, you know, very stereotypical, like Robin Hood, like raise the taxes, kill all the peasants who say anything I don't like, just like comically evil bad guy. Um, and Vlad, he, he renamed himself Vlad von Karstein instead of Vashanesh, so he needed to have a nice, like, imperial-sounding name to come to this new land. And on the, the night that Otto von Drach was dying in his deathbed, Vlad showed up uh, because uh, Otto had a daughter, Isabella, who uh, he did not want to marry off to any of the other lords of Sylvania because he hated all of them as a horrible, evil, tyrannical dictator. Uh, and the person who was going to come next in line was going to be his brother, who he wanted to be the least in charge of Sylvania. And so, uh, near to death, he uttered, I would rather marry my daughter off to a demon than anyone of Sylvania. And that's when Vlad knocked on the door. <laughs> and he was able to walk in completely unannounced 
announced, the doors opened for him as if by magic. All of the braying hounds of the land stopped. This great storm started up as soon as he came in. Very, like, gothic vampire shit. And so he walks up. He rattles off this eh, probably made-up list of nobility. All these titles. He has his his pedigree. He gives to Otto and says... He, he doesn't ask. He just comes up and says, I've come to marry your daughter. And Otto's like, <laughs> well... You're not from Sylvania, so all right. And that night he marries Isabella von Isabella von Druck and she becomes Isabella von Karstein. Uh, and Otto dies that night. Vlad takes over, uh, <laughs> and he is able to uh, start slowly turning it into a land of the undead. Uh, one of his first things he did was dismiss the Sigmarite priests who married him. He said, "Get out of my land, otherwise I'm going to kill you." And he's like, "Well, okay then," and he heads off. Um, he has the, the the stereotypical vampire stuff that all the, the peasants start to notice. We're like, wow, he never comes out during the day. And he never really eats around any of the other lords. And he sure is pale all the time. He's just kind of a weirdo. But hey, he's not killing us randomly. And he's not levying taxes that are super unnecessary. So I guess he's a pretty good dude. Um, <laughs> eventually, uh, he and Isabella actually fall in love. Like, legitimately. It's not just a marriage of convenience anymore. Uh, she falls ill, possibly from poison. Nobody's super sure. And he's like, well, I really didn't want to curse you to vampirism because this actually really sucks. You know, like other stereotypical gothic vampire mm-hmm. stories. Uh, but she's dying and he doesn't want to lose her. And he's like, well, all right, vampirism time, I guess. You asked for it. And so she comes back three days later, looking very pale and not coming out during the day as well, but otherwise seeming pretty okay. Um, let's see. Uh, eventually, uh, he starts, like, on the sly, starting to summon hordes of undead and have them attack the various lords of Sylvania. And there becomes this pattern of, hey, those are the guys who didn't swear fealty to the von Karstein line. maybe uh, the guys who do swear fealty will not get attacked by the undead. Maybe it's a sign from Sigmar. I don't know. And so all of the Lords of Sylvania come and start being like, yeah, he's pretty cool. I'm going to hang out with this Von Karstein guy. He seems like a rad dude, which of course he then makes them all vampires or kills them if he doesn't like them and just has complete and utter control of uh, the Sylvania line which uh, kept him pretty happy for a little while. And then, you know, being a tyrannical vampire, he's like Uh, This place is gloomy and sucks. I want the whole gosh damn empire. (laughs) And so, uh, due to the events of Mordheim, where this giant meteorite of warpstone crashes and destroys the town, he sends some of his undead forces to go and gather up all of this warpstone, which is a potent magical reagent, essentially. It's it's literally just condensed magical chaos. Yeah, Um, it's cocaine dust. Yeah, it's it's super cocaine. Uh, So he sends his undead to collect as much of that as possible and then takes one of the nine books of Nagash, uh, the arch necromancer, one of the guys who invented magic for humankind, and using the power of this warpstone, he does this gigantic ritual which raises all of the dead of Sylvania at one time and gets this gigantic force of undeath. And he's like, all right, well, I'm going to go take the Empire. And so he almost does. He legitimately comes within a hair's breadth of taking over the entirety of the Empire, and it was almost a legal thing to do because he he was legally a count of the Empire, and the at that point the Empire was just like these various warring city-states anyway, so if essentially if you could take over a place and hold it, it was yours, and really yeah, your neighbors couldn't say anything about it. This was before the Elector Counts, correct? Uh, it's like right around then, okay. but it was very Holy Roman, Holy Roman Empire where it was just a city of or a series of like toll booths essentially yeah. uh instead of an actual kingdom um 
And so he decides to try and take it all over. Uh, and he is really close to winning until his fucking shit-stained cousin Manfred decides, you know what? I want to be in charge. So his fucking putz cousin, Manfred von Karstein, wanting to take over in his stead because he doesn't want to be subservient to Vlad for the rest of his unlife, uh, sneakily goes to the grand theogenist Wilhelm III, one of the higher-ups of the Order of Sigmar in the Empire, and he's like, hey, there's a reason you're losing all these battles, and it's because he has this really rad magic ring, and you literally can't kill him when he has that magic ring. No matter how hard you try, no matter what magic you throw against him, he will survive. So, uh, Wilhelm uh, sends out a message, and he's like, Hey, capture every thief you can. We need the best thief in the land. We gotta steal this ring from him, otherwise we're gonna lose. And they eventually find this dude named Felix Mann, who is like, uh, uh, he's just... I'm trying to think of a comparable, super well-known thief, but I'm blanking. Uh, he's just one of the best thieves in the land. Lupin the Third. Lupin the Third. Doing an, Lupin doing the third. an anime reference. He is the Lupin the Third of the old world. Uh, they say, hey, you're going to steal this horrifying vampire's jewelry, or we're going to execute you because you're a thief. And he's like, well... I guess I'll go steal some jewelry then. And so he does, possibly with a little help from Manfred. Probably with a little help from Manfred. Uh, he gets the ring from Vlad. Uh, and Vlad, when he uh, realizes his ring is gone, just goes into a rage, and he besieges the city of Altdorf, which is, like, the main capital of the Empire, uh, even if it's still kind of, you know, various warring city-states. He besieges Altdorf, and, again, comes within a hair's breadth of winning. He's so close to victory, but Wilhelm III, at the last second, throws himself at Vlad and knocks him off the battlements, and they both land on a stake, uh, that was used for defense. There's, there's spikes all around the base of the wall. And not having his ring, stake through the heart kills him. Also kills Wilhelm III, but when the, the head vampire is finally destroyed, the armies start to scatter. Other vampires start using their necromantic influence to take over the undead to make sure they don't shatter. But the army's cohesion is gone, and the vampire war is over. And Manfred, being the piece of shit that he is, goes back to Sylvania to fuck up for the rest of existence because he's the worst goddamn vampire that's ever existed, and I'm still salty that he's one of the main ones in Age of Sigmar. <laughs> he's really good, too. Like, he's really fucking good. Yeah, like, rules-wise he is, but just... <laughs> this is not about Manfred, but while we're here, he has stumbled his way across the old world. He's a really competent necromancer and he fucking sucks at everything else and he just screws stuff up for everyone else. He's the reason the end time happens because he can't help himself. He still has to backstab his friends when they're two seconds away from defeating Chaos, thus dooming the old world because he just sucks. I hate Manfred von Karstein. But anyway, that's how Vlad died. He's eventually brought back for end time stuff by the power of Nagash. I'm not going to get into it because the end time's honestly kind of sucks a little bit so there we go vlad von karstein also known as count dracula also known as the best coolest vampire character in the old world all right fair enough <laughs> what was what was his model uh vlad yeah he had that uh, he had one of those really old ones where it was kind of a flat pose and he's like He's kind of like holding his hand out in like a, you know, a last poor York kind of pose, but without the skull. And he's got like his sword it's, kind of. It's really similar to the new um, vampire from the Underworld Warband, right? Similar, yeah. It's it's that, but like 20 years older. And he's got this cool cloak with like these screaming faces in it. And he's, uh, he's actually modeled with his big ring. Ah, uh, yeah, okay. Uh, and he's, he's still the coolest vampire. And I'm still salty that they did not bring him back for Age of Sigmar. 
You know, I think this is the first time I've really like looked at this model, looked at it, because uh, the the picture they show, I always the cloak I thought was his other arm. Yeah, it's kind of a it's kind of an interesting model. It mostly holds up, but uh, it's fine cast, unfortunately. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. You can probably still find his old metal one if you're really interested. Yeah. Oh, Conrad von Karstein was the model that I always kept thinking of. Conrad was really cool. He was another cousin who uh, he was next in line once Vlad actually died and. Manfred being a bitch was also trying to betray everybody. Unlike Vlad, though, uh, Conrad was an absolute bloodthirsty, crazy maniac, and he's the one who made Sylvania into this horrifying land of undead, where you know the peasants were feared all the time. And he's he was he was not a good leader. He was just a crazy vampire. And there's an Isabella model. That was his wife. Yep, she was cool. Yep. Uh, oh god, the old the old Manfred von Karstein model sucks. Oh yeah, especially the one on the horse. Yeah, with the stupid skull head. Yeah, no, it's it's bad Oof. model, bad character. His new one's pretty cool though, mostly because he's riding this really rad like skeleton oh, yeah, skull lion. horse. Yeah, or, I call it a skull horse. Horse carried by skulls instead of dumb horse as a skull head. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there we go. Vampires, they're fun. Uh, I, I do have three honorable mentions that I'm not going to get like super deep into, but we got a little bit of time here. Yeah, sure. I got the same. All right, cool. So uh, my, my first honorable mention, who almost cracked my top three, like he was he was going to be one of them, but then uh, then I went with Grom Brindle instead, is, why can I, is uh, Vardek Krom. He's also known as Krom the Con- Conqueror, the Bringer of Storms. He was uh, the king of the Kull tribe of... Um, Chaos Marauders, basically. He united almost all of the Marauders in the Wastelands. And then Arkham was like, who's this upstart guy over here? Ended up going to try and kill him, because, you know, in the classic, you keep what you kill with the tribe thing. As you kill the leaders of tribes, that tribe would just assimilate into yours. So he rolls up to this dude with his squad of absolute badass Chaos Knights and sends in one of his guys into a duel with Krom, who just, just fucking dunks on him uh he kills 12 of archaon's champions before archaon's like all right enough of this shit uh it's kind of a back and forth fight to begin with and then archaon knocks Krom's sword away from him um Krom just immediately drops his shield and charges archaon and draw and uh archaon starts to choke him out and then draws uh his sword which i can't remember the name of for some reason the archaon's yeah. The Slayer of Kings. Slayer of Kings. Yeah. He draws the Slayer of Kings and immediately Krom just like stops struggling. And when Archon lets him go, he just drops to his knees in supplication as like, you're chosen by the gods. My army is your army. I'm going to be your herald. And so they just kind of tramped across the old world, killing things while Krom or while uh, Archon was looking for the other artifacts to become the ever chosen. At the time, he just had the sword and the eye. He didn't have uh, the helm or the steed yet, or uh, there was one other thing like a necklace or something. Uh, the armor as well, right? Uh, I think he had the armor at that point. Okay, there was like seven artifacts. I don't remember. Yeah. There's a bunch, maybe eight. That would be pretty chaos significant. <laughs> Uh, there's probably eight artifacts, you're right. Um, but that's not in Krom's article, and I'm not going to go digging through that right now. There you go. So I like how they're like, I'm going to kill you. Oh, you're chosen by the gods? All right, we're going to be bros for life. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, they respect strength. That was the whole thing. Honestly. Yeah, no, exactly. Very, They're very orky, even if they don't want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, that's my first honorable mention. Well, my first honorable mention is Throg the Troll King, because I loves me some trolls, and uh, what's better than a troll who... It eats a questing king, gets his magic crown on his tooth, and suddenly is granted magical intelligence. 
I mean, he ate a Bretonian king, didn't he? Yep. Uh, yeah. He uh, he was essentially a chaos mutant where he had uh, the ability to heal even faster than a normal troll. And in the lore, at least, Warhammer trolls are like, you can cut their arm off and it's back in like 10 minutes. They heal yeah. ludicrously quickly. And he healed even more quickly. Um, and so he declared himself king of the trolls once he manifested his intelligence. And essentially... As a troll, he was able to either with brute force or some vague amount of communication get this horde of absolute morons together and just go terrorizing the north. And being trolls, they're able to kick the shit out of even like chaos champions. And as its horrifying monster, uh, questing knights were always sent after him. People from the empire were like, shit, we can't have a horde of trolls going around. And so he's just constantly eating knights and kings and lords, and he's just uh, just kicking his way across the lands, and I really wish they'd have done more with him. But there is a fun thing with the end times where he and Sigvald, the Magnificent, were put together, and uh, Sigvald being Sigvald, he's like, uh, I can't fight with this horrifying, ugly thing. And so he tries to kill Throg, and Throg just completely fucking annihilates him, <laughs> kill kills Sigvald the Magnificent, and then pisses on his corpse, and... Uh, the essence of his soul manifests in uh, Age of Sigmar eventually, and he doesn't remember exactly why, but he knows he hates trolls, and that is a that is one of his backstory things in the lore in Age of Sigmar. <laughs> That's a great one. Uh, all right, so my next one is uh, a human. He is Marcus Wolfhart, the Hunts Marshal of the Empire. He started off as just this simple commoner living in Drakenberg, uh, which is somewhere in Middle End in like the Darkwall Forest. Um, just a normal hunter. And his town was attacked by a one-eyed bone grinder giant known as the Darkwall Cyclops and just came out of the forest, just killed everything, butchered the town. He was away on a hunt. He returns to see everything's just destroyed and in flames. Uh, so he swears vengeance, hunts and tracks this thing back down to its lair, uh, shoots it with his first arrow into its other eye to blind it, and then, uh, like, Dark Souls rolls behind it and starts chopping its hamstrings away with his sword, uh, and then just, once again, in traditional fashion, decapitated it. Uh, that kind of, like, caught his eye, like, you know, people started to recognize him then. So he basically was like, you know what? I'm not letting this happen to anyone else and started hunting monsters and just kind of gathered this ragtag band of other like hunters and thieves and like monster slayers and ended up becoming the hunts marshal of the emperor. Uh, he basically formed um, like the Queen's Rangers of England from like the, the seven year war and like the American revolution stuff huh. where it was just functionally outlaws and pirates who were really good at these very specific tasks who were given immunity to fight with him. <laughs> and he just, he went around for uh, Carl Franz just kicking the shit out of monsters. He even got this super powerful artifact called the Amber Bow, which was, uh, it was a bow imbued from uh, an Amber wizard to guide arrows towards hearts of monsters. Amber's the so, lore of beasts, right? Uh, yes, the beast lore, which is why I was so good at monster hunting. Makes sense. And for those of you who don't know, a bone grinder giant is like a giant amongst giants. It's like yeah. twice as tall as your average giant in Warhammer Fantasy. Yeah, it's uh, it's like Sons of Bahamut level giant, right? It's one yeah. of those guys. Yeah, it's they're like, like... Eater or a gate breaker. It's like just under them because the Mega Gargants are their own thing in Age of Sigmar. Ooh, but yeah, okay. for for old world equivalent, he's about the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, um, and this dude, this dude just can 
It's like Joe Schmo with his bow just runs up and ends it. <laughs> Joe Schmo with a bow. All right. Who, who you got for your second? All right, my second. I kind of cheated, but they do what? always come as a pair. And you mentioned Godric and Felix. Godric and Felix. I knew it. I almost did Godric instead of Grombert. I'm like, he's at least going to have that an honorable mention. Yeah, I mean, one of us had to. It's it's like if you know Warhammer Fantasy, you know Godric and Felix. They are the book series that Warp that that Games Workshop wrote about. Uh, they have like 25 books or something, even before in times when they get into the the new Godric stuff where he was badass enough that he survived into. Age of Sigmar. Um, for those of you that don't know, Gotrick is a slayer, which is a dwarf who committed some kind of crime or misdeed to the point where he's like, all right, well, my life is forfeit. I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to fight the biggest and baddest thing I can and to die in glorious combat. Problem is, Gotrick is a straight-up badass, and he can't he die. Uh, he stumbles across this dude named Felix Jaeger, who is a poet who drunkenly swears that after hearing his story that he is going to follow him until his death to chronologue or to, 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 to make these chronicles of his life and uh, to have proof of his glorious, wonderful death. And again... The problem is he's too badass. He cannot die. In the first book, they stumble across a, a dwarven hold. He's able to get this runic axe, which is able to swell his power, even though he doesn't know about it. It's starting to make him like kind of invincible, and he doesn't know about it. This is again in time stuff. They they kind of retcon it a little bit to to have the reason to why he's such an incredible badass. Uh, Felix Jaeger gets one of the rune fangs, which is another dwarven legendary sword, and uh, does the same thing for him it makes him very close to unkillable it makes him age a lot more slowly and so they just kind of kick shit across the land for a couple of centuries and similar to Wolfric, he kills trolls, he kills greater demons, he kills dragons, he kills skaven lords, he kills lizardmen and dark elves, like pretty much any big bad motherfucker monster you can think of. Gotrick has slain it and it makes him sad every time because he just wants to die. That's his whole thing. He wants a glorious death in combat and he still can't do it to the point that the world got exploded and eventually he still woke up in Age of Sigmar and he's like, huh, everything's kind of different but sort of the same and I'm still not dead and even now my buddy Felix is gone so I'm extra sad. <laughs> so Dude, that, that model is still one of the coolest models they've put out though. Oh yeah, the new Gotrick is great. So good. I got it just for D and D purposes. It's mm -hmm. just it's just the perfect like dwarf barbarian model. Oh yeah, yeah. Like uh, if you like uh, the dynamic that Geralt and Jaskier have in The Witcher, that's Gotrick and Felix. Pretty much, yeah. Because because Gotrick is really like serious all the time, and you know talking about the horrible <sighs> ways Fuck. X, Y, and Z monsters can kill you, and Felix is just kind of like, well. All right, I guess I'll compose a ditty about it. <laughs> so, yeah, it's fun. Uh, and it's funny because he's most grievously wounded in the first book by just, like, a basic chaos troll. He loses his eye and gets his badass, like, like uh, the, his eye patch that he's known for in the first book. And from that point on, he barely really gets hurt. Like, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, Gotrick came in, you know, covered in bandages. But it's like, eh, he's Gotrick, he's going to survive, whatever. It, they're very, like, pulpy action novels, so you don't really have to ever worry about, like, the main characters being in real yeah. peril. Yeah, they're fun. So, there you go. your last honorable mention. Yeah, so my last honorable mention, uh, I honestly don't know a whole lot about his backstory, but he has the greatest name in all of Warhammer lore. Oh. All right. Yeah, I know. Even more so than Slambo. 
Slambo's a good one. And, and good. Harry the Hammer is a close second. <laughs> All right, you ready for this? It's, yeah. it's going to be a long one. Lay it on me. It is Trade Lord, Greasiest Tribe Stealer, Drake Crush, Gate Crasher, Horde Master, Gold Tooth, the Shockingly Obese. Ah, the head of the Ogre Maw Tribes. Yep, of the Gold Tooth Tribe specifically, who came to power by killing and eating his dad. Like ogres do. Like ogres do. Uh, basically, he took, uh, f- from what I've read through about him, he took the ogres from, like, infighting and fighting knoblars and orcs and stuff, and he's like, no, we're done fighting this rabble. We're going to conquer the world and make money, because he's just this big, fat, greedy shitbag who wants nothing more than to own everything. So, yeah, y- that's really all I've got on him. He's, uh... He's like the, if you've seen Futurama, he, his pose for his old model is like hedonist bot, but he has a huge club. Oh yeah. And, and the way ogres work in Warhammer Fantasy Battle, like the bigger and fatter they are, the stronger they are because they're like, they're they're, gut magic. Yeah. Because they're swelled by their God, which is the the gulping maw essentially. Uh, And so to like honor their God, they eat everything they can and the bigger and fatter you are, the tougher you are. So this ludicrously obese giant ogre is the strongest in the land. And so he gets all the treasure and tells the ogres what to do. And they're like, well, all right. (laughs) Yeah, his, uh, his model, he's not even walking. It's like a hundred knoblars that he's just sitting on. Not like on on anything. He's just sitting on top of them and they're carrying him. He's got like a big old club and a turkey leg the size of a knoblar. There's like a giant gold chest behind him. There's just piles of gold with him. It's absolutely fantastic. It's a ludicrous model. And if you want to see a... Uh... A slightly more realistic version of him. They actually just released a trailer for the Ogre Tribes for Warhammer Total War 3, and he is at the very end of it. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Topical. There you go. All right. Well, for my last honorable mention, talking about fat people, uh, mine is Grom de Ponch, the second best goblin in Warhammer <laughs> Fantasy Battle. So, what happened was with him, he was a lowly goblin, just, you know, Little little subservient slave to the orcs, like uh, a lowly goblin or lowly for a goblin, because those both, are vastly different things. Both. He was just he was like he was scum of the earth, you know. Just he was just a shit stained goblin. Nobody cared about him. He was probably going to be crushed by an ogre or an orc or just something horrible. Until one day, on a bet, he ate a piece of troll flesh, which we talked about earlier. They have ludicrous regenerative properties to the point where if you hack off a little bit of a troll, there's a really good chance it's just going to regenerate into a whole ass troll. So the thing with Grom is that his stomach acid is just barely strong enough to keep digesting it. And so he is perpetually digesting this troll and it just keeps giving him his its strength. Like he becomes this massive goblin. He is... He just begins to swell in proportions and to try and like counteract this troll meat. He's constantly eating other things just to see if he can like work it out of his system and it doesn't help, but it's constantly making him fatter and taller and stronger. And he's eventually like the size of an orc biggin, which is one of the, like the black orcs, the really big, like biggest of the largest orcs, who's not quite a war boss. And he's able to like one-on-one start killing orcs to the point where he's like, well, I guess I'll take over this goblin tribe now. And so he eventually just starts uh, like 
just kicking ass across the land to look for more food because he has like this unquenchable hunger and he still he just has to try and work this troll meat out of him but he keeps regenerating so much he can't process it uh and he's eventually able to like get to Ulthuan, the high elf homeworld homeworld homeland uh <laughs> it, you know they're their own weird ethereal beings they might as well be on a homeworld um and he gives them a lot of trouble not quite able to conquer it but he comes close enough that they're like shit this fat goblin almost beat us we really got to work some stuff out uh he's one of those characters who really doesn't have that much lore about him it's essentially he was just really fat <laughs> and had this silly thing with the troll meat but again going back to total war warhammer he has possibly the best campaign in the game where you go and uh, have a non-canonical rematch with the High Elves. You have to go and take Ulthuan but to get to that he's a goddamn chef. You have to fight battles to get more ingredients to make more meals for him and once you make 30 meals then you can go and finish the campaign <laughs> and it's hilarious. And I This love is Total it. War 2? Total War 2. It is. It. Now I've got to get Total War 2. If you have to buy one DLC for the game buy the, the Warden and the Paunch it's called. It has this kind of boring high elf who's essentially Batman which sounds like it'd be awesome but it's not and then Grom the Paunch which is the best campaign in the game. That's amazing. Oh, it's so much fun. If you have to, have a, if you have to have a second DLC, get the Tomb Kings one. Because <laughs> let's see, orcs and goblins in fantasy work the same way as in 40k. Where like the more fights they win, the bigger and tougher and stronger they get, right? Yeah, and he was unfairly getting bigger and tougher and stronger because, because of the he troll was just meat. digesting a troll. So on okay. top of getting bigger from the troll meat, he was also That's... getting bigger because he was already bigger, so he could win fights more, and so he just kept getting bigger and bigger. That's to the point where amazing. he had to get a, a chariot pulled by three wolves because he was too fat to walk. <laughs> oh, God. We need to do a, uh, a paunch off between him and... Uh, an old Greasius? Gold, yeah, an old Greasius. Uh, pound for pound, I think Greasius would probably win, but he has the goblin or the wolf chariot, so he, he might win because he has the speed. Let's see. I'm, I'm going to see if they're on the app. Just to see. I don't know does if there the, were ever. Does Paunch actually, have rules? I don't think he ever actually got rules. He's one of those characters where it's just like, uh, he sounds cool. We'll put him in the book, but I don't. He, he had no models. There's a really cool model someone made uh, from the Total War uh, in game model, and they took it and 3D printed it. So you can buy a model of him from like Etsy, but they ne there was never an official Grom the Paunch model, as far as I'm aware. Uh, it does not look like there's rules for anyone named Grom. Grom the uh, Paunch. Oh, does Greasy's gold tooth not have rules in this either? Oh, he definitely does. He got a model, so he had rules. But yeah, that was pretty much it. He just he kicked the shit out of a bunch of stuff and was really fat. That's kind he of does, scary. He does not have rules anymore. Oh, not anymore. No, he was he was one of those guys who got in times. Oh, gotcha. Right. Yeah. But yeah. So that's uh, heroes of the old world. Not bad. Not bad. Yeah. So that pretty much wraps us up on this episode. A uh, little announcement, it is a holiday season, and Andrew is going out of country, and work gets weird for me at this point, so there might be a delay in between this episode and the next episode, but we will release another as soon as we can. Who knows, this one might just be sitting in the pipe long enough where there's no delay, in which case, disregard this message. Yeah, uh, worst comes to worst, we'll try and maybe get like a mid-December one recorded, maybe, maybe do some goofy Christmas episode if we got time. Oh, there we go. Okay, it, mm, our favorite Christmas-themed models. There's There are a few now. <laughs> there are. There are 
more than there should be. There's honestly. there's more than two, as far as I'm aware. Well, there was the entire Zinj conversion army that guy did. Oh god, that was beautiful. That was there so was, was there was a guy at New Orleans who converted an entire Zinch demon's army to be Christmas themed. It, it was amazing. It was beautiful. He even put in like little tiny LED Christmas lights, and everything had little little Santa hats on. It was hilarious and amazing. The flamers were shooting up presents. Yep, <laughs> everything had like candy cane colors. It was it was gorgeous. It was so fantastic. Uh, alrighty, well, that's it for us this week. Andrew, you got a piece of advice to leave us on? Uh, if you like Manfred von Karstein, rethink your life. Alright, you heard it here first, kids. Manfred von Karstein is a bitch. Have a good night, everybody. Bye. Thank you once again for listening. You can always contact us at DiceLikeIcePodcast at gmail.com or find us on our Facebook or Instagram, also under Dice Like Ice Podcast. We would also like to give a big shout out to Scarlet Saturn for use of their music in our show. It's over. Go home. Go.